I'm Larry Charles, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. Thank you. Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Well, we started this podcast over four years ago, and for at least two of those years, we've been trying to get this next guest on the show. And thanks to the efforts of his two, count them two, talented sons, Sean and Mackenzie, we're thrilled to say he's finally here. Bravo. He's a highly distinguished acting teacher and drama teacher, an Oscar-nominated director of films and television, and one of the most admired and beloved actors of his generation. You've seen him in pretty much everything. The movies, West Side Story, That Touch of Mink, Candy, Viva Max, Freaky Friday, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, European Vacation, and The Frighteners. And in dozens of popular TV shows, including... The Twilight Zone, Route 66, Batman, The Odd Couple, I'm Dickens, He's Fenster, Night Court, Tales from the Crypt, Mad About You, and of course, as the lustful and eccentric Gomez Adams on the original version of The Adams Family. He's also voiced roles in animated programs, directed features and well-known series, directed an Academy Award-nominated short, acted on Broadway, and toured the world in a one-man show about the life of Edgar Allan Poe. He's even shared the small screen with me, Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) Please welcome to the podcast one of our favorite performers and a man who says he's still sore from the stunts he did on the Adams Family 55 years ago. The legendary and elusive John Astin. Gilbert, I will take three boxes of those introductions. Until <laughs> <laughs> uh, you came on just like a candy butcher there in the uh, old burlesque shows. They used to they used to sell stuff when uh, they were changing the scenes backstage at the Gaiety Theater here in Baltimore. Ladies and gentlemen, well, they're changing the scenes backstage. You know that's what he sounded like. <laughs> Yeah. Almost like like a carnival barker. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was I, I, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now here's something. He's really here. Pinch me, Gilbert. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. We, you've been one of those from the early on. We've been uh, saying we got to get John Ashton on. In here. my office, I have three different lists of guests and his name. John, your name is on top of all three of them. I was going to take pictures and send them to you. So this is a, this is a two and a half year project. You know, we've called the theater about twelve times. <laughs> I know. I I I've been busy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had Gino Salamone on the job. We call. We we sent letters. We're finally here, thanks to Sean and Mackenzie. Yeah, well, or no. Once, uh, well, yeah, I have three other kids. They they could have helped too if you'd known. <laughs> we, we, we were getting close to that. We're glad you're finally here. Now, there. now, here's something. When I was a kid watching the Adams Family, I wanted to ask you this, and that's like I'm in the cartoons, the uh, Charles Adams cartoons. Uh, the father looks like Peter Lorre. Uh, yeah, he, he does. Uh, it's interesting. I, I was a huge fan of Charles Adams before I ever knew there would be a series at all. When I was in college, my roommate and I would, uh, uh, buy a, uh, one of those volumes, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, I forget what they called them, but Monster Rally or something, and we would razor out the uh, uh, our favorite uh, cartoons, frame them, and put them on the wall uh, of our uh, the room we shared. And uh, I had no idea that uh, it would eventually become a series. And uh, so, when it was to become a series. I was introduced to it in a very strange way. The uh, head of the studio uh, took the desk. It wasn't his office. The meeting was in. He 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 sat there though at the you know the head of the studio always sits at the desk uh, if there is a desk. Is that John Kelly? Uh, no, no. Actually, John was uh, uh, Marty Marty Ransomhoff. Oh, Marty Ransomhoff. Yeah, and John was his uh, assistant. I see. At that time, and uh, he is the person who first came to me. So, I, actually, you're going back there because I, I was in a movie called The Wheeler Dealers uh, with Jim Garner oh, yeah. and Lee, Lee Remick, and uh, and a lot of people like Phil Harris. And oh yeah, everybody's Charlie, in that one. Yeah, Jim Backus. Uh, Jim Backus, Charlie Watts. Right. Uh, who was the third person of those three oh, guys? Oh, God, uh, I can't remember the name. One of them was uh, Phil Harris, and the other one was... Uh, Charlie Watts. Charlie was Watts, second. right. And, and uh, who was the third was one? Was it Dub Taylor? No. No. Uh, it wasn't Dub I'll Taylor. I'll think of it. Uh, I just watched it, too. Anyway, I, uh, uh, I, I was in it, and uh, they, they got a lot of preview cards on me, and uh, so they decided they wanted to uh, do stuff with me. Uh, Filmways did. And uh, so uh, John and I, uh, Callie, uh, we went out to dinner and had a really nice time. Uh, he, he's a great guy. Uh, and uh, uh, he had three projects, and one of them was the series and... Uh, there were uh, 
uh, two movies that, that he had in mind. And <laughs> actually, I wanted to do the movies, uh, but uh, uh, I hadn't heard that the, the uh, series was to be uh, about the Adams family. There was no such thing as the Adams family. Mm-hmm. That was the name that David Levy, who created the show, came up with. Because the characters, to, just to refresh people's memory, the characters in the in the uh, in the panel cartoons didn't have names. No, they weren't called Gomez or Morticia or or Adams. Even that came later. No, I'm shaking my head, thinking that because I can see you on our FaceTime, that. Uh, the listeners can see me, but <laughs> no, <laughs> folks, audio only. I'm I, I'm nodding. <laughs> no, no. Well, also, just that's it interesting is. too, John. The other two projects they talked to you about in that meeting were the the loved one. How did you know? And the Americanization of Emily. How did you know that? Oh, I do some deep research, my friend. Wow, where was that? Because <laughs> <laughs> Arthur I Hiller was involved. Uh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, Arthur, Arthur. Uh, yes, Arthur was involved because uh, uh, he had. Uh, I, I had done another pilot film and series mm-hmm. uh, before that uh, called "I'm Dickensy's Fenster." Sure. And uh, uh, Arthur uh, uh, directed the pilot film and the first two or three episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it never occurred to me until now that Arthur may have uh, recommended me for that show. Good be. Didn't he, didn't uh, he direct yeah. the Adams Family presentation, Arthur Hiller? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, there you go. But I, I thought it was this... Uh, uh, well, when Marty described the show to me, Marty Ranshoff, uh, he, uh, he said, uh, first place, uh, he said the very unlikely thing uh, that I would, it would be a non-exclusive deal, you know, first network series ever, <laughs> non-exclusive. And uh, uh, I, I would get... Uh, uh, a lot of money and uh, top billing and uh, and there was something else. Oh yeah, I was going to play Lurch. Oh yes, I was going to play the butler. And so I started thinking of you know imagining myself wearing lifts and and uh, uh, you know how I would stand as as the butler and how could they build a show around him? You know. Uh, and uh, uh, I, uh, during the meeting, uh, everyone was seated in a comfortable uh, chair except for one guy who was on a straight-back uh, wooden chair <laughs> in the middle of the room, the most awkward position a guy could have. And I, uh, uh, he said something, and I, I said, what's your name, uh, and, and what have you done? And uh, he said, well, my name is David Levy, and I, I was vice president of Young and Rubicam for 20 years, and uh, then I was vice president of NBC in charge of programming. 
oh, okay. I said, that's pretty good. <laughs> and uh, uh, fortunately, he, he chuckled. It, it, it turned out he was a lifelong friend. We became close friends. But he, uh, after the meeting, I went away thinking, this will never happen. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I, got a, I got a phone call almost as soon as I got home from David Levy. And he said, uh, <clears throat> what you heard at the meeting is it's not really my idea for this show. And uh, I'd like to meet with you as soon as possible. I said, what about right now? He said, that's good. Meet me at the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Nice. And I loved their martinis. And so I, <laughs> I, I, I met with David and uh, he said, uh, I don't want you to do the butler. He said, he said, this show is really father knows best, but with different people. And, uh, I love it. Uh, I want you to be the father. And, uh, that sounded great to me. And we started exchanging ideas and, uh, uh, it, uh, you know, the result was the presentation film and uh, following that, uh, um, you know, a, a crazy couple of years on the air. That changed your life. It did. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, when I, uh, I was asked uh, to do, uh, to be one of the people uh, doing eulogy for Charles Adams when he passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a, a wonderful gathering at the New York Public Library. And... Uh, uh, I, uh, I I said that Charles and Adams and I shared something, uh, this uh, notoriety and association that neither of us had ever expected. Uh, that, you know, whenever I appeared outside the house, I... Uh, I would hear snaps, finger snaps uh, <laughs> uh, behind me, and people going bum 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 bum, and uh, Vic Mizzy, uh, and, and yeah, yeah, and the uh, that he was a friend of David's. That's uh, how he came to write that uh, wonderful tune. Uh, what I didn't know at the time is that. He had a lot of standards to his credit. Big Mizzy, yeah. He had a big career. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the Adams family was, the theme was just one of them, but that outdistanced everything he ever did. Well, they're still playing it in ballparks. Yeah. Yep. When the yep. team, to rally the team. They're uh, creepy uh, and they're spooky. They're all yeah. together. They're kooky. <laughs> the house is a museum. That's it. You really ought to see. Now, what yeah. I wanted to ask those aren't those aren't quite the lyrics. He's in the ballpark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're in the ballpark. Yeah. What what I what I wanted to ask you is when I would watch yeah. you, and the way you delivered the lines and the faces you made and the way you held your cigar, I remember thinking this guy must be a Groucho Marx fan. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I remember I, I, I said to Nat Perrin uh, one day, I said, Nat, uh, there, there are people who compare me to Groucho Marx and some to Peter Sellers and some to Ernie Kovacs. Ernie and Kovacs, yeah. I said, what, what, what do you do about something like that? 
And he said, my boy, they're all good. Don't knock it. <laughs> good advice. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the funny thing is, I never thought about Groucho when I was working on Gomez. It never occurred to me. But when I think back as a kid, I, I dressed up. On Halloween, wow. as Groucho Marx. Wow. Oh, and man. My brother dressed as Harpo and a kid named Donnie Hall up the block. He was Chico. <laughs> and the That's three great. of us went to, went to school at the Marx Brothers. You know, <laughs> wow. And, uh, and this, was, this was in the 30s, you know, you know when, uh, uh, you know, they were very, very, uh, had, had a great vogue in the 30s. Well, we should we should point out too, uh, just make clear to our listeners too that there's a connection there. We we're talking before we turn the mics on because one of the showrunners or the head writer on the Adams Family was the legendary Nat Perrin, who had written for the Marxes. Yeah, actually, that's how he came to Hollywood. They, yeah, they brought him out to Hollywood to write for them, and uh, uh, he, uh, <laughs> you know, he was uh, uh, one of their favorite people. I, I know whenever there was a a uh, uh, a tiff among the brothers, they would go to Nat to adjudicate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. No, he was a very reasonable guy uh, and uh, a very wise uh, man. He he was not the head writer. He was the producer of the show. Uh-huh. And while his hand was in every script, he rarely took credit for it. But uh, so many of the funny things uh, came from that. Uh, he was critical to the show. Even though he was not part of most of the first show, uh, which was the uh, demonstration film. Mm-hmm. And I think it was about 20 minutes long. What I ask you about, too, is about something. That, that, was, that was written, I should say, that was written by uh, Ed James and Seaman uh, Jacobs. Oh, Seaman Jacobs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Cy, as uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we used to call him. Uh, and uh, they, they had done some very good work on it, you know, before Nat arrived. And so, yeah, did, Gilbert, did you thought, ever meet the great Groucho? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the director of the show, uh, a guy named Sidney Landfield, uh, uh, took me to, um, uh, uh, what's the name, what's the name of the country club? Oh, is Hillcrest. it Hill- Hillcrest? Hillcrest, yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, he took me to Hillcrest one day and, uh, I, I, f- I looked up and I found Groucho staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was perplexed by that, but pleased. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't remember whether I smiled at him or not. He never smiled at me, though. And so I, I wondered. I, I asked Nat, was that some <laughs> possible criticism coming from Groucho? And uh, he said, no, no, no. He, He's a very kind man. What about something Gilbert alluded to in the uh, in the intro? And I've seen this in interviews with you, uh, uh, John, and that was the physicality of the character. 
that you would you would get in the lotus position, you would hang upside down. Yeah. I uh difficult uh, on the body. Well, uh, that began uh on I'm Dickensy's Spencer actually. Oh yeah, you guys did a lot of pratfalls. Uh, uh I I did a lot of pratfalls. <laughs> <laughs> I had the feed lines and the pratfalls. And, you know, Marty had uh, the jokes. And if I went out a window, uh, there was a close-up on him observing it. <laughs> <laughs> so it started there. And an empty window. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just I'm kidding a little bit. But uh, uh, it was tough. When they found out, I because uh, in, in, in the theater I had done a lot of that stuff, and it just came naturally to me, uh, and I had no training in it, or, or uh, oh maybe uh, maybe a little uh, I guess I guess there was a little training and how to fall and all that stuff, but it doesn't do you any good. I mean, you get hurt anyway. Uh, but I, uh, until I, 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 I uh, encountered the Hollywood stuntmen, and you see, this was a, this was a multiple camera show, and it had a lot of, a lot of physical gags in it, and I was always grateful when more people were in the show because I knew they were stunt people who had come in to do uh, gags like that. It was a multiple camera show, and you needed the cement floor mm -hmm. for the cameras. Uh, but you know, when you fall on cement, it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> except into your body. <laughs> when you watch the Adams family today, that's something that you notice right away as you're doing rolls from a headstand and you're doing flips and, and you're yeah. you're doing yoga moves and all kinds of and tra hanging by your feet and trapeze moves and Well, I've I've been fortunate enough to have flexible limbs. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, the first time I did the uh, uh, the headstanding thing, mm -hmm. they wired me up on it and I didn't like that. And I, I, there was a guy uh, who did stunts for me all the time, a guy named Chuck Couch. He did stunts for many people in the movies. He was a former acrobat, and he had done all kinds of great stuff. And he said, do you want to stand on your head? I said, yeah. And he said, well, okay, here's how you do it. And so the next time I had a headstanding thing, uh, I went up on my head. And uh, when I did personal appearances, people would say, hey, stand on your head. And, and like a fool, I would do it. Oh, man. <laughs> Where, and, wherever it was. Please, your fans. And what the critics yeah. all pointed out with the Adams Family, that was the first sitcom where the uh, man and woman were actually having sex. Or, well, yeah, or, or implied. Or implied. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we didn't have it on camera. We, we kept that to ourselves. <laughs> well, it was, it was clear that they had the hots for each other, which was, you know, which was relatively new to television at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, uh, I got to say this for Carolyn, we never really talked about it, but uh, it turned out that we were both 
attracted. Each of us was attracted by the other. Mm. And so it was very easy uh, to do those scenes. I mean, I found her ravishing and wonderful, you know, but, uh, 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 and we kept it strictly professional. We, uh, didn't play Gomez and Morticia off camera. <laughs> as much as you wanted to. Beautiful. That's right. Beautiful That's right. woman. And uh, we had a, a very serious talk before she passed away. And in the course of this conversation, uh, she, uh, uh, we acknowledged how we f- each of us felt about the other and that we restrained ourselves... Uh, from consummating it uh, because we wanted uh, we wanted to stay professional, number one. Number two, we wanted to keep that passion uh, inside so it could come out in the uh, in the uh, work. Wow. And uh, and uh, without talking to one another about it, we both, decided to do the same thing and uh i didn't know it until about a week before she passed on and it it's funny that we were we were by the way friends for life yeah you uh, delivered the eulogy at her at her service right john yep yeah yeah i did wonderful talent it's funny to think that back then there was no sex in sitcoms and then it became a thing like it was almost like a rule that you had the couple always ready to run up the stairs yeah. to the imaginary bedroom. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think we started it. I I used to do a joke commercial uh, for the show, uh, in which I said my wife Morticia and I are the only well-adjusted couple on television. Wait. <laughs> 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 well, uh, I, I found, I, and uh, after that, you're, you're right. Uh, I think everyone wanted to put the stork out of business. Would yeah, you, you always saw it as 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 one of the most well as a well adjusted family, as a family of people who That's loved right. who loved life. Yep, and and weren't afraid to show it. You found the show life affirming. Yeah, I uh, actually, that's what I found in Charlie's cartoons. Wow, I. Uh, uh, see when I when we were talking about doing this show, so I I I started thinking about the cartoons, so trying to figure out what they were what they were all about. Uh, because you have you have uh, let's say uh, uh, the Morticia character uh, going to a neighbor's house and saying, "May I borrow a cup of cyanide?" <laughs> and uh, uh, or uh, the uh, the Uncle Fester character uh, driving his car up a two lane hill uh, and and seeing a, a, a semi uh, barreling downhill is waving on <laughs> the driver in back of him uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, do we see the crash? Do we, uh, do we uh, uh, see what Morticia does with the cyanide? Uh, in that wonderful cartoon in which 
the family is on the roof, and Christmas carols oh, yeah. are, are the, and they've got molten something or other. And do they pour it, and do we watch the carolers writhe in pain? No. Uh, all the violence in the cartoons, he never really carried out the violence in the cartoons. I mean, you could say, uh, I know there's, there's one that really struck me. Uh, there's a... Uh, 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 a... a uh, a couple living in uh, uh, a house in uh, the jungle. And there's a giant snake with a lump inside of it. And uh, there's a woman sitting on the porch saying, oh, dear, stop grumbling. Or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, uh, uh, that's the closest uh I, I can recall uh, <clears throat> Charles Adams coming to uh, an actual violent ending to something. <coughs> Although we don't know, maybe the guy lives. <laughs> and and yeah. Uncle Fester, played by Jackie Coogan, and he act, there's actually, for people who don't know this, a law on the books called the Coogan Law. Oh, sure. Yep. Because he was... Uh, uh, child actor, made a fortune, and his parents didn't leave him with a dime. Worked with Chaplin. Yes, yeah, the kid. The kid. And, well, and That's not exactly how it worked. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Jack and his mother were separated. Uh, Jack and uh, uh, his mother and uh, his father were separated. Uh, <clears throat> and Jack spent all his time with his dad. There was a terrible car accident just before Jack was 21 and his father was killed in the accident. So his mother gained control over all of the millions that Jack had earned. And uh, uh, she gave him uh, some of it, but not that much. And uh, there was a big to-do about it. And... Uh, they passed that law uh, to ensure that that kids got their uh, their fair amount. Uh, the parents are allowed to deduct a certain amount of uh, money, but uh, uh, so that's the, the origin of Coogan's of law. Interesting. Yeah, well, he, yeah. He, he was so funny on that show, John. You, you both were. Was he was he something of a character in real life, Jackie Coogan? <clears throat> One of the most interesting people I ever worked with. Uh, uh, and we traveled together uh, a number of times, too. Uh, that's another eulogy I did. As uh -huh. In fact, uh, Jack, Jack was uh, so much fun to work with. Uh, everybody on the show was. I mean, we, we, we love Ted we, Cassidy, we, too. We're, Gilbert and I are fans. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, he and I were close friends. And uh, Coogan, uh, Coogan always reminded me when I listened to him of Curly from the Three Stooges. He had a little bit of that quality. Yeah. Yeah, except uh, 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 broad as Jack may have been, his uh, all of his stuff had a basis in reality. You know, he was a very good actor. Yeah. And, and uh, he did, he did, 
He did a lot of great stuff. He's a good child actor. Uh, I mean, if you see the kid, he tears your heart out. Oh, go back and watch it's, it. It's fantastic. I want. I've seen it. I've seen it many times. So have we, yeah. Actually, yeah. The uh, well, you know, after this analysis of the cartoons, I am saying, what is he doing? And I came to the conclusion that Charles Adams was uh, trying to wake us up to the wonder of life. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, you know, look at this magnificent spider. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, yeah. a spider is fascinating. It's, you know, it's exciting uh, if it doesn't bite you. You know, that, uh, and the same with a snake. Uh, uh, threatening things are, uh, uh, are interesting. Oh yeah. Those cartoons are dark, but there's glee Human and jo- joy in them. <laughs> yeah. They're very joyful. And, and, he, and he influenced and so, many cartoons. Uh, that's a Gomez was there to appreciate the wonder of life. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I, I heard that Pugsley uh, didn't have a. I I heard it was kind of rough on him. Oh, Ken Weatherwax. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, uh, he got kidded a lot about being Pugsley. Uh, and uh, uh, you know that's got to be tough on a kid. Uh, to be playing uh, somebody they want to make fun of. And I yeah. heard it even went into his adult years. They would know he was Pugsley and start mocking him. Well, he kind of got a kick out of it after a while. He did. Yeah, because we did a few uh, appearances uh, in which, uh, you know, Ken would talk about the show with uh, uh, fans Mm -hmm. and so on. I'm glad he got some enjoyment out of it. Hello, this is Abbey and we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing collateral podcast right after these. Gil and Frank went out to pee. Now they're back so they can be on their amazing colossal podcast. Podcast. Kids, time to get back to Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. So let's go. You know, it's funny. I tell tell our fans to watch the movie The Wheeler Dealers because that's that's uh, the beginning of Gomez. Because, yeah. Because that character that you play, that crazy regulator, yeah, in that movie. That oh, I'm forgetting his car- I'm forgetting his name. Uh, but he was the oh, he was the over eager. He was so eager to get a conviction. Yeah. Uh, and you, that's a very manic part. And by the way, that and that touch of mink, you were you were very good at playing sleazy characters, John. And those. <laughs> yes. The yes. Be, the Beasley character in that touch of mink, which I also just watched again. Uh, but both that character and the character in the Wheeler Dealer are real sleazoids. And it's, they are that. And interesting that they saw something that that made them think of you for uh, for Gomez. Yeah, uh, uh, the, 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 I to felt, be named later, Gomez. I I thought that the romance between Morticia and Gomez should be in the grand style mm-hmm. and uh, filled with great passion and love uh, uh, with these unusual people, and uh, uh, 
And, of course, that became a, a, a feature of the show because uh, <clears throat> Nat picked up on it. And uh, uh, one nice thing about doing that show was that if you had an idea, uh, uh, you could go to them and uh, there was no ego trip on Nat's part. You know, he was ready to grab anything that worked, as was David. Oh, that's great. Uh, and uh, so I remember uh, I uh, I wrote a little bit to put into one of the shows, and uh, uh, I, I had... I had actually, uh, Ted was looking out the, uh, uh, the peephole, I guess, in the door, if there was one, or a crack in the door at who, who was outside. I, re I remember who it was. But he made that, that, that moan, that groan, you know, <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, uh -huh. it was like, like a growl almost. Uh -huh. And, and uh, in that, marvelous voice of his and uh i uh i i said to the director could we get a close-up of that you know when he does that and uh and then i wrote a little <laughs> bit uh where we were going to go into politics and uh and lurch would appeal to the uh to the women and, uh, <laughs> I remember, and and and, and, uh, and we cut to Lurch, and he goes, <laughs> "Goes, I broke myself up." <laughs> but that—that's uh, so they were accepting. Ted, it was it was that kind of set. Yeah, yeah Ted was Ted was wonderful uh, as a uh, as an actor. Uh, he really wanted to play Hamlet. Yeah, amazing. Would have been a very, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And and you died young, the poor thing. You have yeah. a lot of your career is owed to Tony Randall. Oh yeah. I I um uh, I had the good fortune to be in uh, ostensibly to cover Eli Wallach, uh, but uh, Burgess Meredith had to. Uh, this was a. Uh, a play by Shaw called Major Barbara, and uh, Lawton, uh, Charles Lawton, uh, did a production of it on Broadway. And uh, 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 the character of Bill Walker was played by Eli, and uh, they wanted somebody to cover him. And uh, I ended up covering lots of people in the show. And <clears throat> when Burgess had to... He was one of the producers of Dial M for Murder. And when it was opening, uh, his services were required. And so uh, he had to leave the play uh, for about, uh, I don't know, it was something like eight or ten performances, something like that. And uh, <clears throat> so, <coughs> excuse me, Richard Lupino uh, was his understudy. And I covered Dick uh, in the part of Charles Lomax. And so when I went on as Lomax, I, I had a very uh, good experience with it. 
uh, Lawton directed it and gave me an idea for the character uh-huh. that that really worked, and uh, and I ha- I had a good uh, British accent, and uh, so it it scored, and I had lots of got lots of agents to come and see it. <coughs> However, no one wanted to sign me, but uh, <laughs> that's the way it goes. But you were on Broadway. Yeah, I uh, but. Many people in show business saw that play, mm-hmm. and one of them was Tony Randall. And uh, so four years later, when I came in to read for a summer package that uh, Tony was doing, Tony looked at me and says, I know you, you know, <laughs> that way he did. You know. <laughs> Very excitable. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and... I knew then I had the part, you know, uh, just he, uh, cause he paid me a lot of compliments on the role. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and so we hit it off <coughs> and we, we had a great time in this play. And, uh, let me get a little sip of water. Sure, go ahead. Uh, it's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you almost, you, I was waiting for you to do a Gleason take where yeah. you just go, he used to go, ah, it pays to buy the best. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, we, uh, we had all kinds of fun doing that. And I, uh, Tony and, uh, Patricia Barry, uh, who was also in the play, uh, uh, encouraged me to come to California. Well, we were, uh, I guess we were in Chicago at that point, and uh, I uh, ended up going directly to California, and uh, Patricia uh, and Phil, her husband, put me up uh, for a, a f- uh, quite a few weeks <clears throat> until I got settled and found a place, and brought the rest of the family out to California. And uh, uh, I should have, uh, Tony made many overtures to me uh, to do stuff with him. Uh, And even, uh, I know when I did uh, uh, HMS Pinafore uh, in New York, uh, uh, Tony called me up and uh, he said, John, write down five plays you like <laughs> and I'll, I'll put one of them on with you in it. I mean, and why I didn't follow up on it, I don't know, but... Uh, Interesting. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I know, uh, uh, had I been wise, I would have... Uh, and that was not the only overture that uh, he made to me uh, over the years. You know, I uh, the only one I took him up on was uh, they said they needed uh, uh, somebody on uh, on the uh, was it the Odd Couple? Oh, well, you played the Hugh Hefner oh, character. No, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Buff Buffington, and Buffy. <laughs> Buffy. Buffy, they call it. Yes. But yeah. I always remember that as the episode without, without a laugh track. A la- Correct. Right. Yes. Very good, uh, Gilbert. 
Yes. And the, you get an A. <laughs> Every now and then were, I pay attention. Yeah. They were they were uh, trying to show the show didn't get good ratings originally or uh, didn't get enough of an audience for them or something. Uh, and uh, they wanted to show that the uh, show could be funny without a laugh track. Uh, they were both trying to uh, get them not to use a laugh track, I think. Uh, uh, and uh, that was the that was the show. And uh, they stayed on the air. You were very <laughs> you were very funny in that part. It was as a Hefner, funny, you, you decided, I guess, to play it as a as a loony character. <laughs> or, <laughs> Did I? I don't remember. <laughs> Go back and have, maybe, have Mac fire it up and show it to you. Maybe I was just loony. You, you, you <laughs> played him as a real eccentric. And now that now that we're talking about Tony Randall, I'm picturing John in the in the Oscar role. I'm wondering what you would have done with that. Wow. Who knows? Yeah, but I could see you doing it. Who knows? Yeah. I can too. A little trivia, by the way, about that major Barbara cast, and this is just for our listeners: that that three of those actors, uh, Eli Wallach, Burgess Meredith, and yourself, what did they all have in common? They all played villains on the Batman series. Ah! All three of you went on to do that series, which is yep. a, a little did, fun piece of did trivia. Did you face any opposition from fans? When you took over the role of the Riddler, well, I just did it for two one-hour shows, so I I uh, uh, I never had a chance to assess the reaction to it. I had a ball. I I, I loved doing uh, that show. It was a whole lot of fun, and uh, you could chew the scenery. I, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I had always wanted to run around in my underwear in public, you know. And, <laughs> and, and so it, uh, you know, it's. Uh, uh, I'm I'm happy they gave me that opportunity. I want to ask you too about being uh, a young actor, uh, John. And was your first screen appearance when when uh, in uh, the Studio One production was it live television? Uh, night, the night America it, trembled. No, uh, that 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 was not my first. Okay. Uh, the my first appearance was on a Robert Montgomery presents. I didn't even find that in the research. Wow. Uh, no, well, I I was an extra. I see. And I, uh, but in those days, you had to get a SAG card or an after card, rather after card to uh, uh, to be an extra in New York. Not in Hollywood, but uh, in New York, uh, and that, so that was my first uh, professional union, actually, and I got it. I got it uh, from an association that I formed, uh, where we're broadcasting, where I'm broadcasting from now, uh, uh, Johns Hopkins University. Oh, tell us! Uh, tell us what that connection is. Where I work. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm. I'm. Uh, I, I run the uh, theater department here, and uh, I. Uh, uh, I'm very busy. That's why you didn't hear from yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> we know. <laughs> we didn't give up though. 
I made students my first priority. Yeah, of course. And, uh, Good for you. Uh, I realize that taxes come before that. <laughs> so, so Tony's agent was that Abby Greshler? Yeah. By the way, that's how Murray the cop got his last name. Murray oh, Murray wow. Murray Greshler. It was an o- it was it was an homage. It was an homage to I. I believe he also handled Neil Simon or or I. I could be or or Klugman. He, he handled Tony. He only handled Tony. Uh, yeah. And and you started working. I mean, going through your IMDb credits, uh, which is fun to do. And I found that the 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 night America trembled with you and very young Warren Beatty and Vincent Gardinia and Ed Asner. Uh, I. Yeah, that was done in New York. Yeah, so. yeah. Norman Rose, the voice of God, was on that one, Gilbert. I I once yeah. did a voiceover somewhere. How about and that? Norman Rose was there, and I he was unbelievable to watch. And these yeah. are these are fun. I'm I'm going through these, John. And uh, you did uh, Maverick with, uh, with that was with, that was my first show in Hollywood. Oh, with your pal James Garner. No, it was Roger Moore who was the Maverick that week. Oh, ah. wow! A rare, a rare moment. And, <laughs> uh, James Bond as Maverick. Yes, and, I remember. Frank and I are trying to figure out: Did you ever meet Rod Serling? Oh yeah, I uh, I I directed a number of shows that Rod wrote. So uh, oh, Night Gallery. I, uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, we, we were on, uh, game shows, uh, at the same time. Uh, uh, I think that's how I met him in fact, but, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I, uh, I thought a great deal of Rod. Uh, he, he changed television. Sure did. And, uh. Through his diligence and talent. Well, you're in that Twilight Zone episode with Cliff Robertson. You yeah. C- you certainly must yeah. remember doing that one. I do. A hundred yards over meet, the rim. Uh, I didn't meet Rod at that time. Okay. Uh, but uh, while I was doing that show in Lone Pine, California, uh, that's where I heard that uh, I'm Dickens. He's Fenster was going to be on the air. Love it. <laughs> and tell us about I'm Dickens. He's Fenster. And uh, a guy I love uh, reading about is uh, is is the creator of that show, uh, Leonard Stern, the, the great Leonard Stern, who also created Get Smart. Right. And he tells a funny story too about pitching I'm Dickens. He's Fenster, which we won't go into here, but it's in a it's on a YouTube interview with Leonard. Oh yeah, yeah. Where, where he he went in and basically just he just winged it, and he he never actually wound up telling them the premise of the show. <laughs> <laughs> he was just trying to make them laugh for half an hour, but they they bought it. And you and Marty were a fun tandem. We uh, actually uh, we were invited uh, to a uh, one of those uh, cabins at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Uh, and uh, talked into doing an improvisation for a couple of other people in the uh, room. And we didn't realize that uh, 
was the network president and vice president. Wow. Uh, in charge of programming. And uh, that's how uh, that's how the show got sold. Or the uh, casting of the show right, got right, sold. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Leonard Stern, an interesting guy who also invented Mad Libs, Gilbert. Oh, wow. Did, did you know that? <laughs> and, and Mel Tolkien, the great Mel Tolkien was on that show, was he not? Uh, from, on the from, Dickinson Festival. Yeah, from, yeah. from Mel Sid Mel was Caesar. the head writer. Yeah. I learned a tremendous amount from Mel. Uh, uh, he, uh, he was a, a theorist about comedy. And uh, actually, I, uh, there are things that I learned from Mel that I use when I'm teaching about uh, what makes a good play and so on. That, oh, that's uh, great. Uh, the source of humor. Uh, Mel maintained that all humor involves an immigrant. <laughs> oh, I've heard you talk about this. This is the shattering of the context. Yeah. Yeah. It's Where interesting. Where did you hear that? Oh, I do re lots and lots of research, John. <laughs> I, 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 you must be in the stacks all the time. I'm an idiot savant, you see. <laughs> uh, I don't know about the savant part. <laughs> <laughs> but I can vouch We're that We're doing he's I'm Santo Padre, he's Gottfried. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, you toured the country as Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. He went to Australia. He went farther, wow. than, farther than the country. Australia and Ireland. Yeah. We, we went both places. Yeah. Now, here's what I, I want to know, because I hear varying stories. How did Edgar Allan Poe die? We, uh, we don't really know. I mean, he was found near death uh, uh, in a, uh, uh, a pub or uh, an inn or a pub and taken to the hospital, and he lived about four days or so. Uh, but uh, he disappeared for uh, a number of days. He was on his way to Baltimore. He got on a steamer in uh, Richmond, and uh, uh, nobody knows what happened. There are lots of theories extant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, there's some very interesting theories, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, some people think that, uh, he was, uh, accosted and, uh, he probably had an allergy to alcohol. Uh, he couldn't, uh, handle, uh, a lot of it, uh, and uh, he was actually an abstainer uh, until things got bad. And he had so much tragedy in his life. Lots of it. And he would go for a drink. And uh, uh, even if it was just wine, uh, uh, it would send him off on a toot. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, so it was, in a way, his enemy in life, uh, uh, and, 
they think maybe, I mean, one of the theories is that uh, he was uh, in one of these coops that they uh, kept people in, uh, alcoholics generally, and send them out to vote and then send them to another precinct to vote and so forth uh, uh, on election day. And there was an election around the time he died. Uh, then there are people who theorize that uh, he was pursued by the uh, sons of the uh, woman he was going to marry and uh, done in by them. Oh, interesting. Uh, and, and what uh, were some of the tragedies in his life? Well, uh, generally, uh, any woman that he loved uh, seemed to be doomed. His mother yeah. died in her early 20s. Uh, uh, the mother of a friend who was the first person to encourage his writing, she died uh, young. Uh, his own wife, Virginia, uh, died at 24. Yeah, TB. And, and uh, yeah, and uh, his uh, stepmother, uh, of whom he was very fond, uh, she died uh, uh, young. And, and, and in spite of a tragic life, and a lot, of, and most people I would c consider Poe's work to be, or or what they know of Poe the person to be morose. You said you tried to find the the, the joyfulness and the and and the wit. Well, in, it in was his there. Work. It was there. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, or you tried had, to bring it out, I should say. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, and there was easy. There was plenty of humor to uh, put in the show. You know, we we didn't have any problem with that. Uh, he he did so many. He invented the detective story. <clears throat> we know that. He was also the first uh, journalistic critic, uh, and he wrote uh, <clears throat> he wrote some <laughs> reviews uh, that uh, held a certain amount of humor, mm -hmm. although it may not have been in favor of the work he was reviewing. Uh, but uh, he. He was uh, uh, very creative in that way. Did you enjoy that? I, there's a, I will direct our listeners, by the way, too, to a, a, there's a YouTube performance of you performing or reading The Raven. It's, on, oh, that, it's online. Is, it, is that the one? That's the one I did for, uh, was that, did that come from CBS or did that come from Maryland Public Television? I can't tell. I, I, I watched it last night. Forgive me. Because I did, I did the Raven for uh, Maryland Public Television, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and there are parts of the Raven that I did for a Sunday morning uh, show, for a, the show called Sunday Morning on uh, CBS. I heard you uh, say you, you the show was big in in, uh, in uh, Australia in part because they love the Adams family so much that you, you're playing uh, that, to big houses helped, there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we sold out most of the time. That's great. Yeah. And and now I'm going to totally put you on the spot, and feel free to say no. Uh, can you do a tiny portion of the Raven for us? 
Uh, well, well, what about the copyright? <laughs> <laughs> He's too smart for you, Gil. <laughs> uh, that's... Um, I, I forget how it goes. Yeah. Something like once, once upon, upon a midnight dreary. Okay, I got it. Once upon a midnight dreary. While, while I pon while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping. Suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor." And it goes on. Wonderful. Wow. Another, what a treat. Another few minutes. Wow, it's, that was it's terrific. A very, it's a very long poem. Yes. Beautifully done. John, here's... Well, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's not just... It's not the only thing he wrote. I mean, there's... There's a canon of extraordinary... Oh, I love the stories as a boy. The ca cask of Amontillado and Telltale Heart. Yeah. And I grew up on that stuff. I'd watch all these, you know, different movies that had names of Edgar Allan. Oh, those oh. all those Corman pictures. And, but none of them had anything to do with the stories. No. Well, they're loosely based. No. Yeah, yeah. Fall of the House of Usher. They were very frustrating <laughs> for, I, for I, a Poe purist I, like I, yourself. I first came upon Poe when my mother suggested I read the Purloined Letter. Oh, and I was. Uh, no more than 11 years old. I, I may, maybe less. I, I don't know, but I, uh, I, I have a clear memory of that because uh, when I was 12, we moved to another residence, and the effect of the of reading it was so strong that I looked up at the room I was in, which was in that old, that little old house. And uh, uh, I was stunned by the denouement of that show, of, uh, of that uh, story. And uh, I, uh, I examined the room I was in very carefully to see if there was a place where the purloined letter could be hidden. Wow. It was uh, really And you were hooked for life. Yep, I was. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. I just want to go back. We jump around here, John, and I just want to say one more thing about I'm Dickens, He's Fenster that I found in my research, and you might know this, you might not. I read that Stan Laurel was a fan of the show. I didn't know that. Had you heard that? Uh, I, I may have, yeah. I, I may have. There were That, that show got... Uh, uh, the same phrase was used by uh, two national magazines. Uh, 
like time and something else. Uh, they said the best new show in years. And when it was going off the air, uh, I remember there was a critic uh, in Canada who said <clears throat> they may be canceling the best show ever on television. Wow. Wow. That's, that's what they said. About that. And, and Stan yeah. Laurel, that's praise from Caesar. And, uh, you know, Mel, uh, Mel was, uh, uh, he and Don Hinckley did most of the writing. Mel Tolkien. But then Leonard, uh, you know, rewrote it, everything. Uh, but <clears throat> a foundation was provided by Mel and Don. Smart that guys. Was, uh, yeah, they were wonderful. You know, Mel is the guy who collected all those fantastic writers for that show of, of shows. He was the head writer on that show. And there was, was Mel Brooks and uh, 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 Doc Simon. Sure. And Danny Simon. Yeah. Larry uh, Gelbart. Shel Larry Gelbart, sure. Shelley Keller, Woody Allen. Yeah. Uh, you know, tremendous. You know, something I find in the research of your career that comes up is, and it's funny you say that, how many, of great, how many great comedy writers you worked with over the course of your career. And I would add Marshall and Belson and evil Roy oh. Slade. Oh, definitely. Uh, they were, which you are so much fun in. Uh, I a, love a man. So that. tough. He pinned on his own diaper. <laughs> <laughs> and you worked with Mickey Rooney and that. Oh, everybody. Yeah. Uncle Milty's in it. Yeah. Yeah. He was, both of those guys were great in that show. They, uh, Nelson Stuhl with the stubby index. Oh, finger. sure. <laughs> and, uh, By the way, the third, then, the third guy you were searching for in the Wheeler Dealers is Chill Wills. Oh, it was Chill Wills. Just That's popped right. into my head. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. Yeah. What about Viva Max? What about working with Jonathan Winters and, and your friend Peter Ustinov? Well, another film uh, you're a lot of fun in. Yeah. Well, you know, I was doing a play in Los Angeles uh, called uh, Rattle of a Simple Man. And after a matinee performance, my hero, Jonathan Winters, <laughs> came into dressing room. I said, you know, hi, I'm uh, John Winters. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, uh, he said, uh, I like what you did out there on the stage. He said, and <clears throat> he said, you made me, I know you've done it before. But it didn't seem that way. It seemed as though you were doing it for the first time. And he said, I can't repeat stuff. And he says, so I want to become your friend so you can teach me how to do that. Wow. And I said, well, you know, I had said before if there's anyone on earth 
ready for canonization, it's Jonathan Winters. <laughs> <laughs> and I repeated that. I told him, that's how I feel about you. So <laughs> immediately, I'll be your best friend. <laughs> <clears throat> and so we, uh, we had some good times together. But it, it was somehow very difficult uh, to get John to do what had to be done to repeat something. Interesting. Because his style came from his desire to communicate. That's why he'd go into these characters, because they... Uh, uh, exemplified what he was trying to say. And uh, I, I took, uh, uh, I came up with an idea for a show, which I should have pushed a little more than I did, uh, which would set him off on an improvisation each week. Uh, and, you know, he'd just let him fly and see what happens. You couldn't lose doing that. I'm sure. Uh, and he, uh, but one time we wrote something together and, uh, uh, it was one glorious afternoon and, and it was really 98% John. And, uh, you know, I was just the stimulus to it. (coughs) And he, he said, let me work on this a while. Uh, and he says, I'll call you up. So two weeks later, he calls me up and he says, I got it. I got it. And everything was great. And he had this terrific young guy in it uh, and a great part for him. I said, John, where's your part? He said, oh, well, there's not that much to it now, but uh, uh, it's still there, but. Uh, he had completely changed it. Wow. Uh, away from himself. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, he, I would take great delight in just starting him on something, you know. And, and just watch him go? To, watch him go. Yeah. And, you, you know, when he needed a little stimulus, throw it in. <clears throat> you know, sort of what Carl Reiner did for Mel Brooks sure. uh, on the 2,000-year-old uh, man. Sure. Do you look back, John, sometimes, and uh, I know you're very busy and you're very much in the moment <coughs> with what you have in front of you. Do you, you ever look back and say, my God, I worked with all of these these people and these larger-than-life characters? I mean, Peter Ustinov and, and Jonathan Winters, and you worked with Phyllis Diller, and you worked with Betty Davis, yeah. for God's sake, and Orson Welles and Mickey Rooney yeah. we talked about. I mean, it pinch, pinch me moments. You know, I um, uh, I I once wrote down the names of all the people I'd worked with, uh-huh. and just put a comma after each name, <clears throat> and it was single space typing. Wow! <laughs> and I filled up a page. <laughs> <laughs> With single spaced, you know, with uh, yeah, with all these names, and so uh, one of my students, I I, I was uh, working with one of my students, 
She said, John, <clears throat> did you ever work with any uh, uh, big names? That <laughs> Ringo Starr. Uh, and I, I, I didn't think about Ringo at yeah, that moment, yeah. but I, I said, uh, well, what about Cary Grant? There you go. <clears throat> and they didn't know who Cary Grant was. Oh. oh. And, uh, and I, I started naming people, and they didn't know any of them. And then I said, what? Oh, then I said, uh, I played Jody Foster's father one time. And uh, they said, you worked with Jody Foster? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Freaky Friday. <laughs> yeah, Freaky Friday, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, uh, I've got to have... Uh, younger people on the tips of my tongue. More. Well, I, I saw you do. Uh, I saw you interviewed at a convention, and you were talking about the Adams family. You were on a panel with Felix Silla, and I think Lisa. And you uh, and somebody mentioned Bob Hope, and you went around the room and you said, "Come on, none of these people know who Bob Hope is." And you said, "Show of hands." How this is something that comes up on our podcast yeah. a lot. Uh, you said, "How many of these people know who Bob Hope is?" And it's mm-hmm. it's 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 the sh- it's one of the reasons we do this show is to keep these names alive is to keep this history I, a- alive. We we consider it very important. I think one time Dustin Hoffman was speaking somewhere, and before the lecture started, he said, "Okay, does anyone here know what the graduate was?" And no one could answer. Stunning! It. Wow! Stunning! Yeah, and that seems. To me, relatively recent. <laughs> I'd like to see that piece of paper. I just the names in candy alone that you work with Ringo and Walter Matthau and Brando and Richard Burton and and I was saying Betty Davis, Ernest Borgnine, Lottie Lenya, <laughs> B, <laughs> B. Arthur, uh, uh, Burgess Meredith, Eli Wallach, the the, the list. Uh, Charles Adams himself. I mean, the list goes on and on. And a favorite of us, Jack Warden. Jack Warden, you worked with. Oh yeah. Uh, hey, you know, I. Uh, uh, <clears throat> speaking of Burgess, I uh, spent a lot of time with Burgess uh, because uh, uh, I assisted him uh, on developing uh, Ulysses in Nighttown, and. Uh, in fact, uh, <clears throat> Zero Mustel was in the show. There's another one. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, my first wife, Susie, and I had gone to a backer's audition. Uh, uh, I can drop a couple more here. Uh, Please do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we, we, we were... In a, a, lived on the fifth floor of a walk-up that looked out over 10th Avenue and then the, and, and beyond the Hudson and finally Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, uh, uh, <clears throat> we had gotten the apartment uh, next to us uh, for Jerry Orbach. Uh, we, Jerry and I were working together at the time. And... Uh, 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 his roommate, <coughs> Joe Goldberg, <coughs> excuse me, uh, uh, Joe had written a uh, play uh, 
And uh, they were uh, uh, raising money for the play. They had a backers audition. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we knew Joe and wanted to support it. So we went to the backers audition. Uh-huh. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> okay. If I get rid of that, my voice will turn young. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, uh, uh, we're watching this backers audition, and there's Zero reading for five bucks doing a backers audition. I mean, he was on the blacklist at that time and so forth. And uh, uh, we looked at each other, and we said, my gosh, that's Leopold Bloom. He'd be fantastic in that part. And uh, I tried to, uh, I called Burgess right away, and he said, yeah, that's great. That's great, the way he would, you know. But, uh, and then I, I remember taking scripts to Hugh Griffith and Francho Tone and, uh, I, I even uh, even called uh, Johnny's agent uh, and tried to offer it to him. Jonathan Winters. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, Johnny never saw it, I guess. The agent decided against it. But uh, I remember Milt Kamen was offered. Milt Kamen. Remember him, Gilbert? Oh, yeah. Yes. Sure. Remember yes. him? Yeah, sure. Uh, and uh, uh, lots of people. And uh, finally, we had found someone, Sorrel Book. Oh, oh we talk about him. God. <laughs> yeah. We like Sorrel Book. Yes. He's a very bye talented bye Braverman, guy. And he was Boss Hog. Yeah. yeah, he was Boss Hog on the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, but, I mean, that, that I would say, ruined his career. Oh, no, really. that's too bad. <laughs> he made a lot of money, but uh, uh, he's a far better actor than this show allowed him to present, you know. Uh, and Sorrel was cast almost as Bloom. We didn't have enough money, and I found some backers and brought them in, and they said, we want to see who you have for Bloom. And uh, so Sorrel came in and read again, but he had a bad reading, and so they passed on him. And finally I, I said... What about Zero Mostel? And uh, uh, there was talk about the blacklist and the hell with the blacklist. Uh, let's. Uh, and I had already gotten a script to Zero. He'd had it for some time. So he was already, uh, a couple of people went up and, you know, the money people went up and listened to him and uh, went up down to his place. And, uh, and then they called me up and said, make the deal. And so I called his agent and explained to her what was going on. She had no idea uh, about it. And uh, uh, so uh, uh, we made the deal, and uh, it changed his career. Uh, he was brilliant in it. And... Uh, 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 a few years later, I'm doing a show with 
Sam Jaffe. Oh, there you go. It's another <laughs> name. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Sam uh, was a close friend of Zero's, and he'd been back east. We were in California, and uh, he'd been back east, and uh, Zero's agent was suing him uh, uh, because uh, Ulysses had changed his career, and she wanted a piece of it. I see. And uh, I said, now actually the case got thrown out, but I said, I never told Zero uh, that he wasn't first choice. I didn't want to say that to him. Right, you know? right. And uh, so I said, if you... Uh, if it's necessary, Sam, tell him that I can testify that 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 never happened. And uh, so he never had to tell him. Wow. So uh, Zero always thought he was first choice. Oh, that's <laughs> nice that you Which never let, he, you never he let on. He should have been. He should have been. He, there was no one who could have done that part the way he did. I hope you're writing a book, John, or you, you know, you plan to put some of these things down beyond the, the list of names on, who on, knows? on the, yeah, be, I, what, 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 uh, I mean, what a journey. It is, it is a journey. You know, and uh, it's a delightful journey. Actually. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've enjoyed all these people. You even work with Jerry Lewis. I did. In the original Evil Roy Slade in- incarnation. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Uncle Milty, Henry Gibson, Mickey Rooney. We were going, and Gil- Gilbert and I love character actors on this show. We see names like uh, Pat Harrington and Louis Nye and Joey Foreman. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these wonderful people. John Fiedler, Joey Fay, Gig Young, uh, you know, everybody. Did uh, you ever see uh, Joey Fay and Jack Albertson do their... Uh, burlesque sketches? No. Oh, would I love to see well, Joey that? Well, Joey <laughs> Faye was half of that sitcom team, uh, Mac and Meyer for Hire. Oh, okay. On TV in the 60s, but never saw him team with Jack Albertson. Uh, they did Flugel Street. They did Niagara Falls. Oh, man. Uh, they did. That must have been amazing. All that stuff. <laughs> and then uh, for a third guy, uh, they. Uh, they uh, Used a, a a little fella named Bobby Ball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know him. You, you don't us. know him. You stumped us. Uh, yeah, you know. I'll tell you who knows Bobby Ball is Ed Asner. Oh, okay. We'll ask Ed. Yeah, yeah Ed, he's a funny. He was so goddamn funny. Uh, forgive the expression. No, but, that's okay. Oh, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> he was. Before we get you out of here, uh, you and Gilbert did a show. You both did, uh, well, a show you were on many times, Night Court. Yes. Oh, my. Playing Harry Anderson's uh, mental patient father. <laughs> father. Harry, uh, yeah. Like we just yeah. lost Harry this year. <clears throat> yeah. Sadly. Too bad. Uh, he was, uh, you, you really sank <clears throat> your teeth into that part. I did. <laughs> I I I loved it. It, it was. Uh, I'd love to do a show based on a character like that, with the same gestalt that uh, Buddy Ryan had. Buddy Ryan, who did yeah. you play, Gilbert, on Night Court? 
I was like a, a sleazy lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard to buy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, are you available, Gilbert? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what What about Cary Grant before we get you out of here, uh, John? And I watched uh, that touch of mink. By the way, great scene of the New York automat. In that yeah, in that oh movie, we God. we love we love uh, movies that where you get to see old New York, yeah, old forgotten New York, and uh, that, that was a good good scene. And yeah. tell us about Cary yeah. Grant. Tell us about working with him. I mean, you have just those two scenes together, but they're so much fun. Uh well, he was uh, both he and Doris Day were wonderful, and uh, wonderful to work with. Uh uh, Carrie uh, was so nice to me. Uh, uh, he he uh, continued to encourage me uh, after the movie. Uh, and when I did Operation Petticoat, yeah. And, he sent word to me uh, how, nice. how happy we was that I was doing it and so on. How nice. <laughs> Gave me tips on where to buy clothes. <laughs> <laughs> how nice. Uh, but, uh, and Doris was, uh, uh, you know, I still think about her and the conversations we had, uh, you know, off camera. Uh, you worked with her was, a lot. Uh, uh a swell human being. Uh, so I, I, I was very lucky on that film. Uh, and that uh, that came from one of the jobs that Abby Gressler got. Abby Gressler. We got to Abby Gressler. Okay, before we uh, let you out of here, we're going to embarrass you, John, if that's oh okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> this, this is what I've been waiting for. We found a clip from 1964... Let's see. I've, uh, I think this is you on American Bandstand. Do you know where we're, what we're going for here? On American Bandstand? With Dick Clark. Uh, You're doing a song. Oh, yeah. Uh, is this uh, Wallflower this Pete? This is Wallflower oh, Pete. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. That got a lot of plays, actually. And uh, it got me a deal. It got me a deal with the uh, United Artists uh, record, uh, record deal. I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, I was I was shooting a film somewhere in Europe or something and didn't really follow up on it. How, how did this happen? I, you were hot from the Adams family, and they said. Yeah, and I did a uh, uh, a uh, uh, a side was Carita Mia, and the B side it, it was a forerunner of uh, uh, kind of rap. Right. And uh, we're, we're looking at you right now, by the way. We're looking at you against a brick wall. And, and these girls <laughs> doing like you, the boogaloo. You are way. surrounded <laughs> by, by, by go-go dancers. Yeah. Starting I, from the beginning. I got, we're going to play a little of it for you. <laughs> okay. That's great. Oh, <laughs> I've got it. I got it at home. <laughs> well, how 
how you didn't become a rock star after that? <laughs> you, you know, my, uh, the, you see, the A side was Carita Mia, and I did a, a whole thing, and that Lloyd Thaxton, remember him? Oh, sure. Oh, Lloyd my Thaxton. God. Channel yeah. 13, wasn't yeah. it? I, 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 Lloyd Thaxton. Is he a comedy writer? No, no. he was a, a, a. Oh, I'm thinking of somebody else. Performer. Yes. A, a host. Yes. Or I'm thinking like of somebody else. <laughs> and he would uh, do a, a lip sync to uh, Carita Mia. I see. And actually, uh, on Hollywood A Go Go, <laughs> <laughs> I did that. Uh, that was. Uh, uh, really, uh, on the edge. Uh, it 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 was so sexy. What they uh, <laughs> all the girls dancers on that thing. They the one you have, the Wallflower Pete. That was American Bandstand, right. And was clean. Right. We we want to we want to direct our Hollywood a go go was came from a local station. Oh, we want to direct our listeners to YouTube to find you singing Wallflower Pete. There's also an interview with you and Dick Clark. Where, oh, you, yeah? where you're talking about the Adams family. Yeah, it's just, it's great to see these old clips. Yeah. So tell us, uh, tell us about the family. Uh, Mackenzie, we know about. Uh, obviously, Sean, we know about both of them with terrific careers. And again, we're indebted to them for making this happen. Oh, thank- Finally. Yes. So it was all hail, Sean and Mackenzie. Thank but, you. But it's a big brood now, John. It is. Well, I, my, my, I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, my third wife, Valerie, is, uh, um, I refer to as the dessert in my life. Uh, we, uh, we've been, I, I'd say our next anniversary, which is a couple of months from now, will be 30 years. Oh, congrats. We've been married. Yeah, thanks. And, uh, uh. She's an amazing human being. Uh, we refer to her basically as the general. The general. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how many she, kids and grandkids now? And she's about five one or five. Okay. Two. Oh, so I see. Uh, and uh, but she's the general. And then uh, the other three are in order. Uh, a. Uh, uh, an inventor, uh, a teacher, and probably will become a therapist. Uh, and the other is a programmer. Okay. So this is a creative family. With well, sci- a science yeah. in the family, science in the genes. Yeah. Which we didn't get into. But. And, and when your son said they were going into show business, what was your feeling about that? Delight. Good for you. You encourage yeah. you encourage them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I I wanted them to do it uh, the right way if they could. Uh, actually, all five of them had a little touch with it of one kind or another. Uh huh. I remember Alan was in a pilot film I did, which didn't sell. <laughs> 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 And it wasn't Alan's fault. 
But it was a lot of fun to do, as a matter of fact. I, I met some friendly writers on that show, and one of them is still uh, a friend. Good. Married to my representative. Oh, okay. Because Abby Greshler is long gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to say, John, we've done about 230 of these. Everybody from Carl Reiner to Bruce Dern to Peter Bogdanovich. Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke was here. Norman Lear was here. Buck Henry, who I know you know. Yeah. And uh, this one was particularly satisfying because we chased you down <laughs> for so yeah. long. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I was thinking about this. Uh, you talked about the uh, uh, the fact that... Uh, a lot of people wanted me to come on the show, uh, people you'd heard from. Yeah. And uh, unless you were just jiving me. Not at know, all. But, uh, oh, okay. I told Mackenzie, I've got, I've got 57 pages of Facebook uh, posts from people who wanted you to come on the show, which is, really? which is about 400 people that wrote about you specifically. Oh, Which I sent great. to your office. I'm sorry if you didn't get it. Oh, I'll send really? it. I'll send it again. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yes, an outpouring yeah. of love. But there's something uh, about the myriad reruns of the Adams Family. There's such a positive affect to, and I credit the the writing mm -hmm. of the show. And and the quality of performance in it, uh, uh, people absolutely loved that experience. And uh, Carolyn and I were sort of surrogate parents for a lot of kids who'd run home from school and uh, uh, visit the Adams family on a daily basis. Basis, you know, when they were stripping it. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, while we were on the, uh, in production, only two years, uh, the effect of the show is much greater than that. And so in Hollywood, they don't really know how powerful the effect of that show was nationally. I can't escape it because... Of course. Even in my uh, altered state now, uh, uh, without hair, except on my face, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm still... I'm still... Uh, uh, you know, not all the time anymore, but uh, uh, recognized by people, partly because of my voice, I think. Yes, it's unmistakable. Uh, and and uh, uh, the um, I, I found it out when I started doing plays because people uh, would come to see something that I did. Uh, and, uh, I, uh, I'm so grateful for, uh, the good luck to have been in a show with the kinds of writers that, uh, that show had. And, uh, and in particularly, uh, to my gratitude goes to, 
uh, uh, um, uh, Ed and Cy and to uh, Nat uh, and uh, David Levy, the executive producer. I mean, they, they gave us something really fantastic to work with. And, uh, that's great. Uh, and it has such a, uh, a strong positive affect. Uh, the, uh, uh, people, people's hearts are warmed by the kind of humor that's in that show. Absolutely. And, uh, there's not, uh, it's not, Terribly dissimilar from uh, uh, some of the Marx Brothers stuff. Or you can't take it with you, it, which it remi- yeah, reminds me yeah. of sometimes. Exactly. That screwball uh, family. Yeah, we use that analogy a number of times when talking about the show. Well, you, be- you can't take it with you. You belong to that fraternity of actors that are like like Carol O'Connor and, and Alan Alda, you know, who will who will be known for uh, many things, but but that part, that 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 character. It's like, yeah. it's iconic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, uh, I, well, of course my brother said, uh, you know, the real you is Gomez Adams. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. We, we have, we hope you work on a book, John, there's, there's, there's so much and we could interview you for about 6 hours because there is a, a a lot to cover. We just we want to thank Patrick McCarthy, my friend who who uh, who hooked me up with Sean, who got this process started and we want to thank our engineer who's there with you, Rob Spiewak. And oh, do you have yeah. anything you want to plug before we Yeah, tell, uh, plug the theater program? Yeah, plug the theater program. Tell them to turn it give us a major <laughs> it's it's the John Aston. Tell us tell us what it's the John Aston uh, theater theater at the, the, the Johns now. Hopkins yeah. University. Yeah, that has to be a thrill yeah. too to have the theater named after you. For God's sake, yeah, it is. I, it is I, that I know you're into something called value creation, John, because I was doing very deep diving about your work oh, yeah. and what you what and how you 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 talk to your students, and I just want to tell you. That Gilbert and I have been lifelong fans, and you have created a lot of value for us. Thank you very much, and many people. You, you know, it, uh, uh, it, it's it's part of my Buddhist philosophy, but it existed long before that because I I noticed an article that was in a Hopkins publication uh, when I was in Three Penny Opera. And uh, they asked me a question, what is it you really want to do? And I was, I want to try a way to create value on the stage. You have, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, thank de- you, thank you for decades Th- of entertainment. And thanks for your research. Uh, <laughs> that's, are you kidding? I, I've been researching um, you for about two years. <laughs> Hoping this day, <laughs> hoping this day would arrive. Do you know what? Do you know what my first movie was? Ah, uh, God, yeah, I have it somewhere. Give me a hint. Well, my first Hollywood movie was West Side. Uh, oh, West Side Story. Story. Yes, we didn't even get yes, to West Side but, Story. Gladhand. But I, I used to say that all the time. Gladhand. Until someone from New York, uh, 
said, but John, what about the pusher? Oh, that's right, too. I found that in the credits. <laughs> I, 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 I have, I think, two lines yeah. in, in, in The Pusher as a detective. Yeah. We, we hope you write a book. We, we, uh, we hope we get to see you again, John, and, and cover some more stuff. Thank you very much, guys. And, and this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we've been talking to a guest who was well worth the wait. <laughs> John asked. And then some. And, John, I'm, I'm going to send you those Facebook posts from your fans. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank, thank you. And thank, thank you, Mackenzie. Thank you. Thank you. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky, the Adams family. The house is a museum when people come to see them. They really are a scream, the Adams family. Neat, sweet, petite. So get a witch's shawl on, a broomstick you can crawl on. We're gonna pay a call on the Adams family. Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fotiadis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn. 